Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of January 2020. Hope you're all doing okay and getting through all these incredible times of confusion, um, information, disinformation. Uh, everything is a war, a battlefield, as you well know, especially the war to think for yourself. In fact, it's best not to know sometimes the arrays, the battlefield arrays of uh, organizations all working to try to grab your brain eh? and uh, recondition it and saying, okay, and and, and stamp, give it a stamp of approval saying you're reconditioned, Uh, you're you're safe, and you, you can just go along through life just watching lots of silly movies and not causing anybody any problems. You know, control freaks are, are, are mortified with the idea that people might think for themselves. They have nightmares about it. That's always been the way down through time, and no doubt it will be all through the future too. And And it's terribly sad, terribly, terribly sad to see as I've said many years ago, and I continue to say it, that the things you're taught are good and well and, and nice and approved and all that by the state or whatever, the world, even the world state, are often bogus, and the, the causes for the wars are bogus. It's astonishing, really astonishing, that we never learn, do we? We're, even when it's exposed by themselves, they don't mind telling you 50 years later or 100 years later that previous wars and so on really had different uh, origins for, for coming into being and different goals even to achieve. And But at the time, nations remember, because we're very obedient. The nations are, get their people and, and they throw their people against other people's all for really fruitless exercises of the acquisition of uh, more power to the state itself or those within the state in reality, because the state has nothing to do with what you're taught it is. Nothing at all to do with what you're taught it is. And I, I can remember Trotsky's book, uh, My Life, it was called. And Trotsky was a, a, a big writer. He, he was such an egotist, you see, a psychopathic egotist. Uh, and all psychopaths have a tremendous ego thing where they've got to tell you eventually how, how important and great they are. It, it's quite astonishing. And, uh, and I could go on from there and, and mention quite a few other ones as well. However, Trotsky was a Freemason. And you find all the revolutionaries were Freemasons. And that's admitted by Freemasonry itself and from their own headquarters and main branches, etc. But, but Trotsky had joined Freemasonry. He claims himself in, while he was in prison for of trying to overthrow and kill the established elites of Russia. And, and that's where it flourished. It's just like today a lot of people join different um, organizations in prison. And back then it was no different, of course, because you're on the right cause, and you can all slap each other in the back and, and ho-hum, and I don't be all guys together, so sort of stuff. And Trotsky got so enamoured by the whole idea of revolution, even more so than the, than the reasons to get in there in the first place, 
when he, to get in there in the first place, it was a different thing. It was a cultural thing with him. But he he saw Freemasonry as as uh, having so much so much power that the general public are completely unaware of. And when he was being transported out of Russia, and he had to cross different borders and so on by uh, while being accompanied by uh, the, the, the Russian uh, police, you might say, he, he said that. Uh, they got through borders without having to show papers or anything because they they all used Masonic uh, signs, passwords, and so on, and that's that was that was more important. You understand what I'm saying here? It sounds so simple and trivial, but this is the way the world really runs. All sides respect this Masonic uh, ideas brotherhood, you see, and they all have their rules, and you must go by the rules. But everybody else who's not part of this establishment has to show papers, an ID, or be locked up until they can prove who they are, etc. But here you are with even members of the state, government officials, escorting an, a, a terrorist, really, out of their country. Had the doors opened by all the Masonic techniques, and that so impressed them that he went deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And I think the next time, in fact, he went back and he ended up in prison again. He wrote a book on Freemasonry. He thought it would be the best book ever written, of course, naturally being an egotistical psychopath. And uh, I don't know what happened to it. I don't think it was ever published, at least not to the general population. I'm sure it exists, and I suspect I know where. But uh, it's astonishing, as I say, how we live in a, in a system where mouths will be totally sealed by vows. And once they're in, in the organizations, those who, who, who literally will close their eyes, ears, and everything, see no evil, speak no evil, and hear no evil, uh, they'll keep secrets to the grave from the general population. And they're very proud to do it. Because the whole system is based on faith. Faith that those above you, a higher ranking in the organizations, know what they're doing. Uh, faith, too, that, that because you've been trained to believe in virtue and all this kind of stuff, you see, you've got virtue and you should become a brother, yeah, that, that obviously uh, those above you have got virtue, and therefore... But what happens when you keep getting evidence when it's a sham and they don't have virtue at all? They train you to have virtue, but they've got a different policy altogether for themselves. You understand that everybody can be used. That's what I'm saying. And there's no doubt about it that uh, people are used all the time through organizations such as the one I've just mentioned. An international brotherhood that takes pride in, in looking backwards and admitting that they're part of international revolutionary societies and overthrowing of governments. It's quite, it's quite something. And, and none of them will ever question it. They'll say, well, you know, we're living in a better society now. and so. But really, who really was behind it? Who, who, was, who was to benefit from this, really? Hmm? And who's still benefiting from it, really? You've got to think about these things. But yeah, as I say, how can you have one set of laws and rules for, for, for themselves, the brothers, and everybody else? Even in the same social stratas, regardless of which strata it happens to be, everybody else has to go through formalities, inquisitions, papers, please, etc., etc., and lots of other things too. That's not right whatsoever. You can't pretend to have any kind of democracy when you have this kind of favoritism. It can't exist as a democracy, obviously.
But I was thinking of that today, uh, very much like the, um, I don't know if people realize it, but and, and Freemasonry too have Freemasonic funerals, even the military. And I watched, I saw some photographs in an article a few years ago with troops, I think the Canadian troops, having uh, a, a funeral over in, in the Middle East, I think it was, with with one of their members in a road, and all had their Masonic aprons on. And the, the paper, the newspaper, naturally casually just mentioned, you know, this this to to understand people who are not involved in it. It, it looks weird, guys standing there with aprons on, you know, and just a casual mention of it, like it was a separate religion, huh? without saying it's a separate religion. But of course, it is a separate religion. When you have formula rituals spoken gestures, etc., then you, you, you're seeing a religion. And I've no doubt whatsoever the people involved, the ordinary guys bearing their own, are, are very sincere in what they're, what they're doing, thinking, and so on. But again, it's to do with uh, something that even the battlefield uh, will, will actually save a, a brother's life, as they say, if he gives the proper signs, if he's in trouble, and the opposing force. And that has happened and been recorded in Masonic manuals of that happened even in the American Civil War. So here you have guys sworn to slaughter each other on either side, and literally uh, they'll face incredible punishment if they don't slaughter each other. If they decide, oh, I've changed my mind, uh, that you're, then your own side generally kills you. That's justice <laughs> for changing your mind, but. Uh, in the American Civil War, there was an officer, I think it was, uh, on one side or the other. I think it was a, a, a Confederate was wounded, and a Union officer saw him using the, 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 the plea, you know, the sign for help, and uh, stopped him from being killed or finished off and took him in and literally had him taken to his own home and taken care of, etc., etc., until he was well and recovered and the war was over. But that's the kind of difference there's, there is. Uh, it's okay to slaughter people who haven't done uh, got their their degrees and so on. You understand this double standard is it's just too wonky. But when you get the same standard, international, at higher levels, who are sworn with each other to have wars, cause wars, have lists of wars, right? And to take uh, all the all the pe- I call them peasantry. We're all peasants, you understand. We truly are all peasants. If you're a citizen, right? Uh, that's all you have is rights and obligations as a citizen. That's what it means of the city, uh, as a peasant of the city. You're not a ruling in the ruling class of the city. There is a ruling class. You're just a peasant who has has these rights and a few privileges to exist inside that organisation called the city. You're a citizen, and one of the first ones, of course, is to pay taxes. Uh, that's the first obligation that you have. But we're, we're really peasants because we're, we're trained in a very, as I say, I, I keep telling people, we're trained to be completely and utterly naive, really. We're trained that the world's really a nice place and, and the, the, the special folks who come out of special wombs who rule us all have the right to, to do what they do because they're, they become, they're special people. They're, 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 they're born differently from you, you see. Um, their genes might be better or must be better, and they wear suits and ties generally. They don't wear so many, not so much military uniforms these days. 
but they wear suits and ties, very expensive ones. And they're trained by actors, in acting classes, in fact. I remember reading articles on the air years ago where they're, they're given classes, and, and the, the examples they gave in the papers at that time were, were in Britain, but they mentioned other nations used them too, uh, so that they could, they could find ways of looking genuine politicians, I'm talking about, could, to, to win their own uh, interview, a sudden spot interview. And they're given these fake spot interviews to, and given questions to see if, if it's working or they're acting properly or deflecting the questions or ignoring them properly altogether, which is what they do. The first law, the first rule that they tell them, and it's still done today. You know, often, often when they're asked a direct question, they'll answer something that, that's, that's maybe, maybe, maybe even not slightly a, a, a related to the question asked, the reply. Uh, but, but generally, it's, it's they're told reply to the question as though it's the question that you would like them to have asked you. That, that's a fact. This is what they're taught, and that's why you get no truth at all. Now think about here: you're voting for a whole system of people who are not are just liars naturally, because politicians are, but trained to lie. Hmm? Trained to, and by the way, they use your, the grants for your money, the taxpayers, to train them to lie to you better, more, more plausibly. And we live in this farce, don't we, as, as citizens, eh? So you pay for everything. You pay for the incredible wars that go on with these brotherhoods, eh? At, at the top are all... They all have wink, wink, nudge, nudge um, kind of uh, signals to each other and eight little statements like special relationships. It always got me... I know, that, I know what it means. And in Britain, of course, with the US at one time, they had a special relationship. It was almost incestual. That's how it was. That's really how it was because it was so secretive and they kept giving the public these special relationships that that it sounded awfully dirty and kind of... Uh, under the covers, sort of thing. Hey, eh? that's, that's that's. I guess it's a Freudian way of thinking of things. But but it is, isn't it? Our special relationship. Maggie Thatcher used to talk about it. Our special relationship. Well, well, but they would never come out and just tell it straightforwardly. What they're talking about a special relationship. Hmm. Uh, uh, why don't they say it? Why not just say that during the Cold Warrior is an example? But they've got ongoing special relationships to do with other places, which are often important. But back then, the Cold War, the public would have said, okay, you know, we've got this this relationship or an agreement without having to go into a special relationship, you see. When you get a special relationship like that, it, it literally means that your, your nation is going to get led to the wall, if need be, to, on behalf of another nation, even sacrificed if it's needed. Hmm? That's what it really means, apart from financing the other nations and so on in its wars. That's what it means. And the public mustn't be told the full facts of it because you might object. And that's how government gets away with things. They, they just don't tell you the full facts of anything at all because you definitely would object, I would imagine, if you if got any indignancy at all in you. But today, of course, we've got special issues. It's all going on. And you get whiffs of it, the, this little secret thing, eh? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And you, you get it even in the recent articles about Boris Johnson in London, uh, just before, you know, uh, Christmas and so on, along with Donald Trump and special relationship, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and because you knew darn well they've signed agreements to with other country, countries to go to war against against Iran, if need be, etc. Because really you want that. 
They prefer if Iran just got starved to death and gave up because it's less messy. But again, even factions amongst them want it because for every missile that they fire, there's sometimes multi-millions of dollars worth of profit. You get them replaced immediately, you see, guaranteed. Good business, uh, if, they, if you're a good psychopath, you don't mind <laughs> that kind of thing. But yes, special relationships. And during, during the, the, again, the Thatcher era and Ronald Reagan era, it came to a head with a Cold War when uh, they thought, well, well, we'll force Russia to, to, to spend so much and invest so much of their, their particular infrastructure and, and GDP and all the rest of it uh, into fighting us because we're going to put up all these incredible military complexes across the planet which they did, and they're still there today. And there's more of them for the U.S. And again, I get, I, I, when I speak, I always get sidelined with things which uh, I remember. But getting back to what I'm trying to say here, Britain really was, and Scotland especially, it was so evident there, was to be fortified. All around Loch Lomond, the different places, and the Holy Loch, etc., all these different lochs, where the nuclear submarines were and so on. We were heavily fortified, and these, these incredible concrete oh, monstrosities were built up across the Highlands and different places too. The idea was that if Russia was to make a big push, you see, westward, uh, then they'd, they'd battle it right through. It'd be fairly quick, they thought, you know, through the, the countries, including France, even very quick. Uh, and then they'd, they'd, they'd be across to... to to Britain, right, as the last stand. And if Britain couldn't handle them, this is the idea, they couldn't withstand the onslaught, along with lots of massive reinforcements from the US, from bases and so on, in Britain. If they started to fail, the, the, the US would try and pull out what troops it could of its own, and, and they'd sacrifice Britain by attracting, this is the idea, they'd attract, you see, People get, well, why would they put all these different monstrosities, mainly in Scotland and different, and even England and Wales? It was to detract supposedly so much of the arsenal of Russia missiles, detract them off into these other places and leave parts of England, especially London, alone. This is no kidding. Hmm? This was, I, I remember talking about it years and years ago on the air too, which was to do with, with threads. Threads was a movie that came out about a, a kind of aftermath, building up to this whole monstrous vision of a potential holocaust of uh, nuclear missiles whacking Britain. It went through the aftermath too, uh, what would happen to terrify the general public. I love how we, we're always getting terrified, but generally by the people who cause it all. Uh, they get terrified if you don't stand up against it, you see, and be pay up, pay up through the nose for taxes, for, for, for incredible arsenal, arsenals of weaponry, which you're hoping will never get used, right? And then the, the horrible after effects of, of starvation and radiation sickness and even plants dying and so on, starvation and maybe even cannibalism afterwards. So you get terrified from, from everything. That's how they can, you're controlled. Terror, fear, terror, fear. You, I've said before, you never get a, a peaceful generation. You're not allowed a peaceful generation. And I always likened it, because it's explained this way, by the way, in intelligence uh, circles to intelligence uh, employees when they start off. In intelligence agencies, you, br- you bring them in gradually into the understanding that you're superior. 
And they, they actually foster this belief that you're superior. Until you believe it yourself, you see, and then you'll slap each other in the back. So we're so superior. These little peons down there, the citizens just don't know what's really going on. And they never will, you see. And that's how it happens. So anyway, getting back to the threads, uh, there was a documentary about it. And there was, uh, there was uh, of what was happening with incredible reinforcement of arsenals and so on. And, and the movie version of uh, the, the terrible aftermath of what would happen if all hell broke loose. But that, that's your idea of a special relationship. And, 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 and in reality, years later, of course, years and years later, uh, uh, supposedly to this, that's why um, Russia collapsed eventually, couldn't keep up with, with the arms race for, arm, for arms superiority. And had different movies out too, uh, talking about the fact that these parades of the Russian tanks and all that were all obsolete tanks, and they're all rusty, and they're all given fresh paint and all that kind of stuff, they just couldn't afford them. And then, of course, Margaret Thatcher eventually brought Gorbachev over to Britain and introduced him. And, and media, it was all pre-planned with propaganda, which is what the purpose of the media really is, you know. And it really is. I'm not, that's not a, 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 I'm not exaggerating. That's the purpose of media. It's all owned by the corporations. They're all part of the club. And they all know what to do and what to say and all the rest of it. But they said, they arranged in advance that the Gorbachev was to be portrayed, which eventually they did. It's a kind of swinging, a new swinging Soviet, you see. A modern Soviet. And they, they give them expensive suits, tailor-made suits that were not all great, like the, the old Politburo. And his wife was a really trendy character. And any, any little interviews the media was to get, was to, were, were to give to them, um, they could, here's, here's a topic so you could, you could ask about, this, and that was it. Nothing beyond that. That was agreed upon. If you wanted any interview at all, and the Roman television did the same thing. And they had all this stuff about, yeah, he was, he was a new swinging Soviet, very trendy, modern, and we shouldn't worry about them. Here's the change in the Soviet structure. Now, he, he was the, again, they're all KGB guys, you know, that's, that's what they are. But he's been portrayed as a swinging Soviet. And it was a propaganda blitz in all the media. And, and uh, yeah, Maggie Thatcher took him around and introduced him to other world leaders as, as a trendy Soviet, you see. And they all, again, nudge, nudge, wink, wink to each other. And everybody's getting the message, you see, this party, the big agenda, and this is a, a show for the peasants. And the, and the citizens, and that's how it was put across. And I remember two of the articles that, uh, oh, yeah, did you know uh, that, that Mr. Gorbachev's wife, and they mentioned her name and all that, uh, was talking about how, how relaxed and free they are, uh, they are in the Soviet Union. And that most folk don't realize that as a citizen of, of, of the Soviet you could walk into a store, uh, on the streets, a storefront, that could advertise, you know, things like facelifts and stuff. That was freedom, you see. And, and, uh, and you're, you're saying, well, what a minute here. What, what, would we be, what have we been having this incredible Cold War about for all these years, hmm? when they're so incredibly free there, huh? See how they can turn everything upside down with this pure propaganda? A flick of a switch and the propaganda machine can, can portray the opposite of what they've been giving you for the last 40, 50 years, you know? Boom! And, and that's, how, that's how they really do it. And we've even had that recently in, with, with different articles with other countries as well. It's astonishing, isn't it? 
And Napoleon used to talk about Britain's policy. And he, and he's very truthful about it because he, he himself was a good psychopath. So he, he could see through the other psychopaths of the enemy teams. And he called Britain perfidious Britain because it always make alliances with folk, use them, and, and, and then just wash their hands like they had never, ever met them and let them die or sacrifice them or whatever. And that's, that's the way things really go, generally. So we're, we're living in a system of incredible propaganda that we're trained as, as to be naive. And when you get clues down through time, getting back to what you're, whenever I talk about things, little things just come out, the little neurons in your brain, synapses, boom, 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 boom. But I remember one of the left-wing opponents at that time was Reagan, and before Reagan too, but, but uh, leading up to Reagan, was Jean Kirkpatrick. And she had been trained basically in a, a school and a college in, in New York, which was basically a communist college, this particular one. It, it was to turn out revolutionaries for the, the cause for the world and all that. And she, she again, played her part really well. They're, they're, they get well paid for playing their parts too. All, all sides do. Because, because there are no sides at the very, very top. Quigley said that, Carl Quigley. But here you have a, a communist, suppose, who's constantly attacking American policy and foreign policy as well, who was taken on to the Reagan team, the supposed right-winger. It's great how they portrayed their parts and they played their parts, you know. He was an actor, so he had no problem with that, I suppose. It's all B-movies, mind you, but he was a likable character. And he took her on and... and he said that he was so impressed with, with her her recommendation and the plan she'd drawn up for the future. Now, they didn't mention ever empire, but of course that's what they're referring to. America, of course, took over from Britain, especially at the end of World War II. I made sure of that, Eisenhower. That was part of their policy and land lease programs and so on. But, of course, they were to take over the reins of empire, and there was other forces inside the U.S. to make sure of that, that really had a different plan altogether. But Kirkpatrick, being a good communist, I don't know, she'd probably call herself socialist, but everybody knows what that means. Because Stalin told us a definition, it's a communism, is socialism in a hurry. And if you read the Fabian papers in London about their, their relationships between themselves and Trotsky and other members of the Soviet Union, because they're constantly, uh, they, 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 they boasted about a direct link to Stalin's table in his office. And, but, the, but their beef with Trotsky, Trotsky wanted immediate physical revolution, uh, and the Fabians thought they could do it better by taking over the Gramsci uh, technique of altering the culture, taking it over, leading it, guiding it, until the country became socialist without even knowing it, not even using the word socialist, you see. But anyway, uh, here you have Kirkpatrick. She says, well, empire, she says, you're going to have an empire. They all knew it, but they'd be against the U.S. Constitution, which nobody really at the top ever really wanted to, to follow. It was a nuisance, you see, to power. So she drew up a plan of hundreds of bases across the world, a stack them across the Middle East, where they are today. And she says, well, what this, you know, fix things out and sort things out across the world. So rather than send troops over and, and bring them back home again, it'd be far better and more efficient to put permanent bases across the planet. 
And at the time, that's what was striking at the time, was when you saw the, where the bases were, you say, wait a minute, this is not against the Soviet Union. What's this about? Here we are in the Middle East. Eh? This is how far ahead the whole thing's worked out for the greater good, you understand. And you better understand who the, who the greater good is on behalf of. But it's astonishing. You watch it happening. Right down to, again, here's the trendy Soviet, Gorbachev, who never said he was not, he, he left the Soviet system, the socialist system. He still said, oh, I'm, I'm still a socialist, I'm still a socialist, and so on. And it'd be better working in the West as a good socialist. You know, don't forget, Soviet Socialist Republics was the name of the, the Soviet Union. When you get too many coincidences, by the way, in symbology, don't ignore them. It's awfully important to understand symbology. I don't talk about so much to the general public today, but everything is, is awfully important. If you, remember the letters used by the Soviet system. And remember, it was a union of Soviet socialist republics. But in their lettering, they'd have CCCP to represent in letters, on, on their, for instance, on their Sputniks and stuff like that. So the triple C. But during that time, if we don't realize, when you had the collapse building up from the 1920s onwards, you have to remember that the president, FDR, in the U.S. during the Depression, he was brought in because of the Depression, from Wall Street actually, and a good part of his cabinet they brought in with them were communists, known communists, and it was kind of comical when you look back at it and you see that uh, you, had the, you had the Soviets, uh, the leaders there, congratulating FDR's plans to give work to all the unemployed during the Great Depression in America. So you had the CCCP congratulating the American group, the Civilian Conservation Corps, uh, for getting uh, people back to doing some gainful employment inside America, giving them work with work projects. And if you worked for the, the CCC in America, you were called uh, being a worker. Uh, they added the W at the end, so you're a CCCW. So uh, you, you just don't dismiss these coincidences, especially when you had a world that was getting pushed towards this big experiment of the communist technique, the Soviet-type system. And again, with austerity, conservation, all of that kind of thing tied together, and we have to go back into it again. I wonder what they'll call it this time, perhaps, you know. And, uh, but, but don't dismiss these little things that, that happened in the past. They're very important, and they're very symbolic. You never dismiss the symbols that are all around you. You had all these different work programs in the West. You had the correspondence between Britain and uh, America, to the Soviet Union, and praising them as we financed them, by the way, even when we were collapsing financially, supposedly, and the people were, were suffering in the, the Great Depression, which didn't stop until World War II got things in full production to kill each other. And they had all these make-work projects, big, huge, and anybody who's unemployed or whatever uh, was drafted in, and work armies in, in the West, and, and America was a proud example of it. Uh, we're all working together for it. This is this together thing. Again. We're, we, uh, you know, we, us, forget I. It's all we, us, who are working for a better tomorrow. They were basically given food and, and board and so on for the, for the work gangs, these massive work gangs. And they've made movies about them. 
how this is the way of the future. And there's tremendous correspondence. Uh, and folk don't realize that, that America, U.S., was, was, was going communist, <laughs> really. So the big bankers create a massive uh, collapse, supposedly. Although at the, the top, they never lost a penny. They acquired a lot. Because bankruptcies are awfully profitable for those who've got the dollars to pick them up for peanuts, all the businesses and corporations. But out of it, they, they, they have this hands across the sea to the Soviet system. Who, and you, you, should, you should read the articles from that period and the letters from the, the, the high chutzpahs at the top. Uh, all colluding together. This is what we're all going in the same direction here. America's got all these work gangs across the country doing infrastructure and building everything. The same as us, brothers, brothers. <coughs> nudge, nudge, wait, wait, wait. And this is how it's going on. And in Britain, they had, they had similar things, although Britain didn't want to encourage it too far because the working folk in Britain were so sickened with their lot and after World War One, especially, and all the wars before it, for the so-called strange enterprise called the, called the, the British Empire, that, that with the big rallies uh, for miners and so on, all the way down to London, and huge marches down and on, on uh, the, these marches to, to get petitions, and it, it, you can't go on like this, they kept saying, that Britain was an, uh, almost a tipping point for the revolution. And the communists were definitely stirring up big time, you know, Make things as bad as possible. Stop relief getting through food aid, that kind of thing, or even money to the, those suffering to make misery worse and worse until they'll definitely be forced to, to revolt. Holy people realize this, this actually happened. The communists attacked the churches that were, that were handing food out and, 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 and giving charity and so on. Uh, and and this, that's part of their manuals. Make the misery as intense as possible till they have to have a revolution. And then you pop in to, and guide the revolution. And then you end up being uh, the controllers and the, and the new monarchy, you might call themselves. You, know. you have to realize that all these big parties were worked together at the very top. And Quigley gave a lot of that too. He was a, an elitist himself. And he didn't like the general public. He kind of despised them. Uh, it's a true leader should, you see, or, or certainly does. And um, he didn't believe, of course, that, that the general population should or could even have the the proper will to guide themselves properly. And they need to be guided by all the, the ones above them. That's a, that's a true socialist, you see. For everything you see in life, you, you, there are different meanings. You know, at least always two meanings, opposite meanings. And in other uh, subdivided uh, categories, too, of those particular meanings for those in the know. As I say, yeah, whatever they want you to do today is never for the purposes uh, that, you th- that they tell you it's for. Never, ever. You know? How could it be? Winston Churchill was a globalist, don't forget, who... Uh, at the announcement of a war coming, he says, this is fantastic, he said. And this is archived in his letters and so on. He says, we, shall, we can get out of this the world that we want, a united, especially Europe, a united Europe. He's talking about the, 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 the present form of it, with this com- the commissars at the top, you see, all part of it too. And then as soon as the war starts, he's telling the public, he's, he's, te- he's telling people privately, and you can find this in a book called Fringes of Power, I think it was called, by his personal secretary at the time, who, who gives a little bits, little bits away, you know, 
not a lot, but little bits. And uh, been sworn to the, the Brotherhood, which they all are. They're all, all sworn to it. And Peter Wright, by the way, mentions that too. The, the guy who was in charge eventually of MI5, uh, who was disliked by a lot of them, who worked for him, because, because he wasn't a brother, you see. His dad had been, and his dad had been. He's one of these families, very much like George Orwell, who's really his family were, were like gener- intergenerational bureaucrats and civil servants. And you, you find the same thing there. So Peter Wright, uh, as far as being in the, in the Admiralty, I think it was, and he got him a job, and uh, really as an electronic specialist uh, for, for spying, eavesdropping and so on. And then he worked his way up, and he worked his way up into the head of MI5. But he said that, uh, Peter Wright, in his, in his book, that... They do have this this kind of formality, this this kind of money penny thing. There's always official, highly regarded uh, secretary from a, a whole long line of secretaries, generally the same families. that work for the, the establishment at the top. They, they hold on to secrets. They know they know everything is to know, and whatever you, you need to know, you just go and ask the secretary, and everything's sorted out. And he said that uh, she says uh, you, you you're a Freemason, and he says no, I'm not. And she looked at him. Well, that's unusual. She said. She says, they're all Freemasons here in MI5. You understand, when you have different agendas that the general public are not supposed to know about, you need people who really, really will swear to keep secrets to the point of death, you know? And that's why there's an an amazing selection process as they go up the ladder. Um, if, if you have uh, religious convictions, you're, you're suspicious immediately because your conscience might get involved. You, this is wrong. So you, you can't have that if you're going to if you if you're going to help deceive the public. You, you you can't have that kind of thing. You you already believe that you're superior, and we're we're more superior. See, the general public are peasants again, back to the peasantry, and they're, they're trained in the same schooling system with indoctrination techniques. They're really scientific techniques that Bertrand Russell talked about because he was part of the experiments he did in Britain on the children as far back as the 1920s. He was going to an experimental school to try these techniques to, to improve the efficacy, to prove the efficacy of scientific indoctrination that he was so, so interested in. And that's very, very important. If you're in an obedient society, that you can um, say, we're at war with so-and-so, come and fight for your country, and millions will just join up, you see. Well, you've got to train them that way, to be very naive, to believe that we're all together and all of each other, and the ones above you bringing it into war really love you more than anybody. You're trained to believe that. And that they're somehow more intelligent, and therefore they've got to be right. It's, it's a faith-based system, you understand. And that's how we're, it's, it's more intense today than ever before, because they've got batteries of psychologists and behaviors, behavioral specialists, batteries of them, working in every country on improving the indoctrinational process of multitudes of people right down to, to the instant recognition of, of individuality. Individuality is a very scary thing to them. In fact, the United Nations said that. Uh, they said that their most, da- their most dangerous thing to, to, to their global agenda for, for peace, they always call it peace. You know? Remember what the communists call it peace, right? Was the absence of all opposition. 
But the United Nations said that, that in the individuality, the individual is a dangerous character to our plan. There you go. See, for the crowd that goes along with what they're told to go along with, there's no, there's no problem. But an individual could upset it by, and Bertrand Russell mentioned it too. He said, if, 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 a, if, the indiv- if there's an individual here that's, because the, the sociologists at school, even back then in his day, uh, through all the paperwork and so on, they were taking records of everybody, every child who came into the schooling system. And they'd have you classified as you, as you went through all the different exams. But they also were making personality profiles. That, that stuff is all passed to London, you know. Whole warehouses of, of files on everybody, much bigger than any Soviet Union system. But Russell said, he says, our, our filtering systems, to catch them, the, the, the thinker, you see, from, from, he's talking about the general classes are not uh, aristocracy. He said our, our system, our catch is pretty good, and we generally give them scholarships, grab them, and, and give them a, a, a quick indoctrination into the better ways of life and things of life, meaning the upper class. And you're so overwhelmed, you see, with the granite buildings, as they call it, naive, all those. You're, oh my goodness, all the famous people. Uh, that's lectured here and studied here and so on. You now you're one of them, and to win you over, so they'll always stand for the brotherhood, hmm? the big brotherhood at the top. But he said, if the intelligent, the really intelligent ones, slip through in the future, he's talking about when they really come to come to their power, their fool when things are getting really on the edge. You see, of success or failure, he said. We can't allow them. We can't allow them to continue if they know everything that's going on and, ex- and can express it and co- communicate it with other people. They're a danger and a threat. That's their biggest fear, as individual, occasional individual who can express it and know it. He says, if we can't win them over, we'll have to annihilate them. And that's where he goes on with diet injections and injunctions. will be used. But, but that's the whole thing, you understand. The individual, that's what Mao Zedong said of China. He wasn't scared of armies from the West or whatever. He said his greatest fear was a big idea. See, idea comes from the individual, you see. The, the crowd doesn't have a big idea all at once by themselves. It's always an individual. Therefore, uh, that's what he's afraid of. George Bush, by the way, in fact, I think the, the two of them, the, the senior and the junior, talked about the big idea in a speech, the big idea, one of the New World Order speeches, which actually happened you know, 10 years apart. And, uh, you know, the world, New World Order coming into view. You know. I could prattle on and on and on because there's so much involved and each phrase is so important. But anyway, a big idea, you see. A big idea didn't come from, he was falling again. They worship their own, you understand. The ones who are put down to their own intelligentsia to be the planners and so on. They worship each other. And he was talking about someone who came out with the big idea, a very old idea. But it was published long before Bush mentioned it. And they're on the road to this big idea. And believe you me, no matter how it's sold, um, they can't tell the public the truth of it because uh, the truth really is a, a mass reduction in population sizes and so on. 
because you're no longer needed in their utopia of the future. But they'll use you all in the meantime to make it all happen. Step. I, I mentioned it before, it's like a, it's like a rocket. You're sending a, a payload into space on the tip of the rocket, basically, in the capsule. And all the stages of the rocket contain mainly the fuel and the, the rocketry itself to project the stuff into space to escape the, the, the orbit and so on of the Earth. And the gravitational pull, I should say, of the Earth. And they know once you'd often have three-stage rockets, so you'd go, you know, the first stage is ejected, and you'd see it falling away with the cameras and all that. And then second stage is ejected as you go further on. And, and see, that's what we are. We're the stages of the rocket. All of us, the peasantry, you see. Um, we push it up higher. That's our job. And this was just explained by some of them a long time ago, by the way. Uh, with the idea of using Darwinism and everything else, uh, and, and, and superior types and inferior types, that the Earth itself, if it was sterile, would produce nothing. If there's no bacteria uh, and, and no, nothing to feed on, and you have no insects or anything else, uh, it'd be totally... So therefore you need, you need uh, literally, uh, uh, bacteria to work in the soil. And you need, out of bacteria, you get different enzymes that will get produced and so on, waste, etc. But that waste itself is nourishment for other things. And then plants grow and insects are working there, they're thriving, etc. This was explained in a, really a textbook treatise on the New World Order a long, long time ago. But the whole point of it, the end of it, it says, well, that, that's what people are. And that's what generations of the peasantry are, are really. They're, they're really there to get to, get to the finished product. We're we all disposable bacteria and insects to get to the finished products of fertility for the planet. Uh, and this is really what it's about. Quite amazing, eh? So, yeah, we're, you're definitely living in a different reality from the one that you've been trained so naively to. You understand what? Nobody, except eugenicisms, mainly in the West, would ever have thought about what they did in the West, what they did think and believe in and put money towards the Rockefeller Foundation and other foundations, which, are, again, are working for the greater utopia and their big idea of eugenics and depopulation of the inferior types and so on. Out of the, the, the Cold Springs Harbor group in New York, uh, where, where they really were, it was a big eugenics organization. They brought in experts from the, the farming, uh, the American Steer and farming, uh, cattle ranchers, associations it was, and the specialists in breeding uh, cattle, eugenics, and, 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 and they brought their ideas and, and applied them to humans. And it was quite fascinating, really, because you'd think, again, as an outsider, you would think initially it was to make better humans for society. And, of course, they did come out with the Better American, you know, the better American Families Association, Rockefellers and so on, with their magazines of the proper families and good, good breeding, and where, the, where the male and females picked each other properly from the, from the proper families and and uh, had the children and, uh, to, to, to raise better children and for leaderships. But, see, the other side of it was that they didn't want 
ordinary folk surviving too much, you see, in breeding. And I mean ordinary people. And they did come out with the sterilization processes for people who they claim were unfit and so on. And all they had to do was adjust the peace to declare you unfit uh, for any reason at all. Uh, and poverty was one of them, by the way. It was classified as a mental illness to be poor. Then they could have you sterilized. And they, they sterilized a lot of people in the States. But don't forget, at that time, at, even at that time when it was happening, people in America would, would, would never think... Of, of mass extermination They didn't think that It's amazing how you can see it happening And live through it But you, your brain won't twig Because it's a horrific thing to contemplate And, and your country could never do that Because it's a nice country, right? And the folk that you know personally are nice people But that's how it always is uh, When you see horrific things with the, Under the guise of And don't forget who owns socialism Socialism is a creation of the ultra-rich for control, from birth to death, everybody obeys. It's a, it's a rigorous type of system to, of control. So it's perfect for for this kind of uh, for those at the top who, who create power. It's a problem allowing you so much freedom, positive freedom, negative freedom, so on. That's what they call it. And there's, you know, they, they, they train their own uh, people to work in these fields. Uh, Tony Blair was an example. Of this is a good psychopath again, attracted to power and the manipulation of people, and he did bring a, a whole nation into a war against countries where the British people are scratching their heads, saying, "Well, what's this for? Who's going to benefit?" Certainly wasn't Britain when the taxpayers handed the tab. Today, of course, that war has devastated, devastated Europe with massive floods of refugees. That's another story again. That was planned. That was that was planned. They talked about this before they even started it. But he was he wanted this to happen, by the way. And he even had members of his team in the papers where they talked about um, mass migrations from complete diverse peoples coming into Britain as part of their agenda. And and his right hand man came out and published this. Why are you voting for people? Why are you voting for people who are always part of an establishment you know nothing really about? Nothing. Nothing. And they're sworn onto an agenda, or they wouldn't be accepted as running in the campaigns. But we're trained to be naive, and it's all just potluck, isn't it? Hit and miss in politics. And, oh, sometimes you get a good one, sometimes you get a that's what you're trained to believe. That somehow it's a kind of a lottery or a scratch and win. It might be a winner, it might be a loser. Oh, well, we'll try next time, get another one. That's so far from the truth. Anyway, I'm way off the track tonight. In fact, I, I've said nothing that I was, going to, I was even thinking or talking about so far. But yeah, you're, you're kept in a constant state of fear and terror. If it's not bankruptcies... Hmm? Uh, national, which will lead to an individual, uh, and so you run and run and run. You do what you're told, and work hard and all the rest of it. And then you watch. You don't save money, but you can save money now. You've got zero interest in your banks, not by law now. Eh? They can, they can take your money and loan out across the planet. Incredible rates of interest, but you'll get nothing back in return. That's that's now called fear, right? And your country really is a central banker itself, lending money out to other countries. With, with conditions applied, naturally. And it's social conditions, it's social engineering and so on, social policies, cultural changes. 
And if it's not that, then it's the war or threat of war, right? Meanwhile, and, and like Winston Churchill again, go, go off and you, you lot, you know, you lot go off and fight for your country and preserve your way of life. And everybody loves their, their country. They love their people, their fellow man and woman. They love them. If you're, if you're down near the bottom and you have a real culture, you'll love each other naturally. So it's horrific. Oh, yeah, you'll go and fight and die. But it's got nothing to do with what you're being told. You don't know that. They'll tell your grandchildren down the road, 70 years, whatever, or more, because they won't really care. To them, 20 years ago is is obsolete. It's old-fashioned stuff when when you're 18 or whatever, you know. But they will tell you the the, the revelation of the method. Absolutely. It's astonishing how we're really trained to, to believe in things. I knew 20 odd years ago, I, I came out and said this. I said, you, you may get 20 years or, or even less of talking on the internet and putting a lot of the truth out, and then I'll rein it in. But, because they'll put out all the fake leaders, thousands of them, by the way, well financed, all modeled after people who are already out there doing it for nothing pretty well. And they'll be using all their material, in fact, right down to copying their bios. Mine was copied by someone awfully well known. And then they'll lead you like Pied Pipers in a complete circle until you're back into politics again and getting played. And that's exactly what's happened. You have no idea the, the amount of agencies and intelligence working involved to do all, to give you your reality. And I said to, at that time, only came out to come get this stuff out to, to, to tell people uh, what's really happening in the world. And they've got to look at the whole world agenda, the whole world agenda. Not be stuck navel gazing at, at what's been happening to your country, just you. And I said at the time too that, that this is uh, it's so totalitarian. You have no idea, and I knew it. I, I, I had a lot of insight into what was all planned and where it would go. And I, I also read uh, over twenty years ago too the articles they said that they would have a massive teams eventually of of warriors on the internet from the government agencies which they have. So they're, now they're reading it all in, and they've been rather open about it in some ways, because the sites are getting pulled off just for mentioning things which you're not allowed to say anymore, whether it's medical or whatever it happens to be. You're getting boof, 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 you see. And most folk will, will stay on the Internet. Like, and I said that years ago. People will stay on the Internet, most of them, because they'll be so addicted to it by then anyway, even if all the other rights are taken away. And that's what's exactly what's happening. And I made it almost impossible to survive without it. Now I'm going to touch on a few articles, hopefully, before I get off tonight, because the time is flying in as usual. And if I try and compress over an hour uh, into the, of the audio, I'll talk like uh, uh, a chipmunk, you know, the, the chipmunk's uh, audio. They used to have in old songs and so on. But a few things, just, just to ponder on, for anybody who wants to ponder at all these days, you know, a few things to ponder on. And I'll put links up at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and, and all the other sites I have too. Remember, make a list of all the sites I have in case I go down or, or something happens, even a, a glitch or whatever. And um, you, you'll get the shows, hopefully, if, if nothing else happens in the meantime. Here's an article. It's controversial, naturally, 
which um, doesn't matter though, but it's, it's controversial about climate change. This is the big mantra. It, it's so imperative they can't change this. This once it's all it's like weapons of mass destruction. That's all you'll hear: mantra, mantra. If everything that happens is going to be caused by climate change, and it's your fault because you're causing the climate change. You see, everything hinges upon this acceptance of the causes because it's an agenda for total. Uh, yeah, eugenics down the road too, and even now, in fact, uh, and and for totally socialist control, which is just or it's expert control of your lives. They call themselves experts with a big agenda. And that's coming out of it too. You can't just live anywhere and so on. Look at Australia, uh, with the smart cities. Like, uh, huge. I'll, I'll put the links up for that too. But this article here is, it says, fires that are not due to climate change, says an expert. This is the most important factor is the dryness of the fuel which comes from the hot, dry weather. It's not behind a lot of it, all the problems. It's behind all of it, he says. The theory is as solid as the universal theory of gravitation. SBS has attempted to contact Mr. Packham on whether he holds the same views expressed on the original 2013 article refuting links between climate change and the bushfires at that time. Now, what they're talking about, too, and it, for 20-odd years or more, this happened in Canada, too, by the way, in the States as well. Uh, uh, rather than, than keeping, keeping the undergrowth down in forestry in different places and so on, keeping it down to prevent these huge fires, but 20-odd years ago it became policy suddenly to allow all the underbrush to grow, etc. So naturally you get these huge fires that will start every few years and burn itself out by the underbrush. They used to have always control fires all over the place, too. If you look into the history of Australia as an example, uh, you, you'll see that Australia, Australian, uh, the Bushmen, you know, uh, the Aboriginals, that they call them, but they're Bushmen, Australians, uh, used to always, for thousands of years, have controlled burns themselves. They'd move it, they'd, they'd, they'd work out where they were going to move to, and then you'd get these fires going. And it cut down undergrowth, etc. Because it gets awfully hot in their summer, awfully hot. Just like California in their summer. This is one article, and of course, all the, the really diehards, because propaganda works awfully well. Most folks, since they're maybe 20 years old, 25 at the most, who join the organizations that are against, you know, the, the humans living on the planet by the propaganda, and you're, it's all your fault, uh, they're, they're not 25 years old yet. So their life's pretty short, and they don't have a long history in their own lifetime of, of climate changes going up and down, you see. So it's quite easy to press them. So I'll put this article up for those who who, who, don't know, who want to just look at it. It's up to you to make your own mind up, of course. But when you work in the smart cities here, now there, there's a good article put out by the Department of Infrastructure, Regional Development and Cities. Department of Infrastructure, Regional Development and Cities, and uh, this for Australia. And this goes in to the Smart Cities Plan. Now, obviously, when you read through it, you start to say, wait a minute, I guess we're all living in the cities for shortly, and that's what, yeah, you will. You, they don't want you outside in the countryside. That, that's Agenda 20 for, for the whole 21st century. They must be accomplished in this 100 years for the 21st century. A whole bunch of things, of course. And naturally, you, you won't need cars in the cities, you'll, you'll have public transportation. That's Agenda 21, too. It said that there, there are no private vehicles allowed, only essential vehicles. Only. They'll have private ones, but be under corporations and so on for civil servants and things like that, naturally, just like the Soviet Union used to have. 
So anyway, um, I'll put this article up there too, just for those who want to peruse it. But here's one here too. NASA, right? NASA admits that climate change occurs because of changes in Earth's solar orbit and not because of SUVs and fossil fuels. This is 2019. And for more than 60 years, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration has known that changes occurring to planetary weather patterns are completely natural and normal. The links are here to them, of course. It says, but space agents, for whatever reason, has chosen to let the man-made global warming hoax persist. And they go back to 1958, when NASA first observed the changes in the solar orbit of the Earth, right? (laughs) I've said that years ago, a long time ago, many years ago. Uh, along with the, the alterations of the Earth's axial tilt, are both responsible for what climate scientists today have dubbed as warming or cooling, depending on their agenda, because they've used both extremes to, to get us to give up all our rights and freedoms. You know, uh, the, the coming ice age is one, and now it's going to be, now it's a frying pan, we're in the frying pan right now. And uh, no way, shape, or form are humans warming the planet. But anyway, I'll put this article up, and also... Interesting to this vaping thing they're going about. It's amazing how the. Do you realize the media tries to keep off what's causing the problems, eh? which become so 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 obvious very in a very short span of time. Breakthrough in CDC vaping illness investigation, right? And there's it says vitamin E acetate and THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana, right? may be to blame. They've always known it. You see? So what, what they know is, it says there are 2,051 cases of lung injury related to vaping. That's what they've recognized. This is the ones that have come into the hospital. There's stacks more that, of course, haven't come in so far. But they know what these, these children are doing. Of course they are. For a quick high, a quick buzz and all the rest of it, that's what they're doing. And it combined, of course, with vitamin E acetate too, which breaks down into other compounds and causes other things to happen, you might say. But they've, they've, no, but, but now they've, they've legalized cannabis. You know, it's a good thing since so many of the ones at the top have got massive investments in it. They don't want to mention it, you see. So for, for long enough and long enough, oh, they're just having terrible vaping. Oh, just rotten hospitals with lung damage. And oh, my goodness. Eh? But uh, you know, they, they've known all along what caused it. Of course they have. We are the species that are studied more than any ant or mouse or rat or anything at all in a cage. There's nothing they don't know about the public, even more so with the, with the real-time data from the Internet and, uh, and from the Ethernet. Interesting, too, with it, just to finish off here, because the time again is just running out. Do you think it's coincidence? There's certainly food for thought, right? That the coronavirus that they're hyping... Uh, uh, from China, it coincides with a, a mobile game about wiping out humanity with a deadly disease. I see that tops Chinese app. It's a top app in China yeah? uh, as coronavirus right, spreads. It's, uh, it's, uh, you, you get lots of little clues <laughs> or messages. You might think uh, the way things are presented to you. You know, so it's called Plague Inc. It says, top the country's iOS download chart, it says. That's quite interesting. But, uh, yeah, do you think anybody wants to bring down the population? Well, that's what all the climate stuff's about. They've already said it. 
that people are the problem. This is published in all the big newspapers. People are the problem. I read the articles not, not too long ago. But that's the world we live in, folks. Anyway, don't be terrified. Don't be petrified. And try not to be on edge. Don't forget, too, to try and get you addicted to all the terror. You're being controlled. You're following. The, I used to call it the paper chase. They, they put stuff in the newspapers and you'd follow, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, no, not really. Oh, oh. You see? Today it's much better for them. It's more efficient having you delivered to your to your your, your iPhone or whoever else you're using, internet systems and so on. Every day, eh? and you're all following the same stories. I mean, likes and dislikes. I know how many folk are reading it and getting getting terrified. Oh, no. you're your claim yourself, and that sometimes means turning everything off and getting some peace in your lives. Remember that you're the target of all this information, not just a recipient. You're the target. So you've got to, stay, to take some charge of your own life too. And you've got to occasionally get some happiness back in your life. Or you'll, you'll crash. Information warfare can be used and is used as a weapon most of the time. And unfortunately, uh, you might, well, maybe fortunately, you've started to notice who's who in the big game, as it's called, eh? of intelligence. The big game. Hopefully, you're learning. Hopefully. But regardless, think for yourselves. Verify information. Verify it. Don't choose to verify it from this, that. Look at all sides of everything and come to your own conclusions. And then again, turn off every so often. Because remember, fear is the greatest tool and weapon that's used to control people. And there's many kinds of fear out there right now. From myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada. It's good night. May your God or your God's go with you.